Broadcasting live from our satellite studio in Metro Washington, D.C., it's time for the special on-the-road edition of Learning Insights, featuring learning professionals who are improving performance and driving business results. And we are back for another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. Your host, Stone Payton, here. Our producer, Ryan, is here in the shop as well. We are broadcasting from Satellite Studio in Washington, D.C. for Training Pros. And uh, in this segment, we're going to get a chance to visit with Knowledge and Learning Officer for a little organization some of you may have heard of called World Bank. Uh, Please join me. And welcoming to the broadcast, Miss Darlene Christopher. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Well, we are delighted to have you. Now, you are a knowledge and learning officer. I suspect that can and does mean a lot of different things to different folks. But how would you describe your role at World Bank? Sure. Um, yeah, it's kind of an odd title. Um, but what it means is that uh, I'm actually a knowledge and learning officer for East Asia Pacific region of the World Bank. And so what that means is that I oversee the learning program for that region of the World Bank. I manage the learning programs for our staff. Our staff are decentralized. Even though we're headquartered in Washington, we have staff in Asia in 20 countries, about 1,000, 1,200 um, all in a, a range of countries of Asia. And so I uh, put together the learning strategy for the region, and then I execute it. Well, I would think, and maybe more so for your organization than, than many, you have so many additional considerations to, uh, to look at when it comes to designing the curriculum, to the, the mechanism by which you're going to deliver learning. Is that accurate? Yes, it's very challenging. Um, because we are on the other side of the world, our, our, our clients are on the other side of the world. Yeah. And um, however, there's a huge organization in Washington as well. So I'm constantly trying to shift resources out to the field to get programs out there that I need. And, you know, nowadays, um, traveling and uh, spending time in classrooms is also uh, people don't have time for that as much. So we use a lot of technology to reach our staff. Uh, virtual classrooms, we do e-learning, we've done a little bit of mobile learning, but that, it just keeps growing because um, just to be able to reach people and get them information and get the training in a timely fashion. Uh, help me and maybe some of our listeners get get a good handle on some of these terms, if you will, because you got you got you got virtual, you've got e, you got digital, you got uh, yeah. Help us organize some of those terms, if you sure. So um, you know we use a huge range of technology. Uh, when I talk about virtual classrooms, which is my area of expertise, I'm talking about live training that takes place over the web in uh, different locations. So we are connecting people together um, using a tool. We use Adobe Connect, but there are tools like WebEx, um, GoToWebinar, those types of tools. And people can participate in a classroom-like event, um, but from their desk or even from their mobile device. Um, And then the other types of of technology that we use, we do uh, just traditional self-paced e-learning. Um, where someone sits at a computer or on their mobile device and and works through content at their own pace. And then um, mobile learning would be training that has been uh, optimized to be delivered on a mobile device. 
So I would think, just by necessity, you guys were probably early <clears throat> in this before most, right? Because you had folks spread out everywhere, or was that not the case? Or um, You know, we've been dabbling in it for a while. I wouldn't say, um, you know, we're not like a high-tech company that's out there doing um, lots of innovative things. We are a bank by nature, so we're uh, a bit conservative, but <laughs> okay, fair enough. but yeah. on the other hand, we're so dispersed. I'm I'm only working with one region of the bank. There's six. We work all over the world, and so um, you know because of that, we're forced to look at these technology related solutions um, because that's the only way we could get our our training to folks. So a little earlier in the conversation, you just sort of skated by very modestly. That's my area of expertise. We were talking about virtual. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, it is your area of expertise. You've written a book on it. Um, and among other things, uh, it's my understanding that you sort of help people understand that the, it's different. Facilitating that type of learning is just different. It's not the same as standing up in front of a, uh, a, a regular group. Yeah. 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 Can you speak to that some more? Yeah. This is the, I was just reading before I came at here this morning. I was I was reading a, an evaluation of some of our training programs, and there was some feedback about, in our organization, we call virtual classrooms webinars. And that means different things to different people, but that's how we, that's how we name it. And um, there was some feedback that the participants didn't feel engaged, and they had, a, they had trouble retaining the content when they were attending some of these webinars. Now, granted, these probably weren't my webinars, but there were some <laughs> webinars uh, because I like to think that the, the ones I work on are maybe better. But uh, this is the biggest challenge out there is that um, people, um, it, when you hear the word classroom and virtual classroom, you may think it's just, uh, okay, we have our classroom content. Let's go dump it into the tool and let's deliver it. And that won't work. It it absolutely will flop. And that's that was probably what was driving those negative, uh, that negative feedback that I was reading. It was probably someone who did it like that. So what it means is that the facilitator has to adjust his or her delivery style, especially if they're used. To, if it's the kind of facilitator that it really gets energy from seeing the people face to face. Because you don't get that. I I would think that would be a real challenge it, it's a huge obstacle and i see people the first time someone facilitates in a virtual classroom sometimes they just they're deer in the headlights and they don't even know what to do mm -hmm. and they're pros and all of a sudden they're looking at a computer and they don't they they can't they just can't pull it together and so i i would do a lot of rehearsing and practicing and coaching with them to and come up with different techniques depending on the person of how they're going to get that energy from the computer instead of um, from having those um, those faces they can look at. So they have to adjust their delivery style and you have to get used to um, watching various parts of the screen where you're seeing activity where people are chatting on the side or maybe they're using the tool to raise their hand or interact in other ways. And so the facilitator has to get used to watching a screen and interacting with the screen and that's taking the place of interacting with the people in the room well i hadn't thought about that but i guess the technology is certainly available for them not to only chat with the instructor i guess if you enabled it they could be chatting with you it's no different than you know, two people talking off in the back of the room right? right i mean or you could have on purpose a back channel and it's just it's just different nowadays isn't it it is and um 
You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because sometimes people say, well, if they're in the, if they're in the virtual classroom, how do I know they're, they're paying attention? They could just be surfing the web or they could be off doing something. They could have mm-hmm. muted me and they're talking to someone in their, in their office. And the truth is that that challenge is there in the face-to-face classroom too. It is no yeah. different because, um, all you have to do is put your phone under the under the table and start <laughs> seeing what's happening on your email or on Facebook or whatever. Mm. So, you know, um, classroom face to face classroom teachers or instructors have the same challenges that the virtual classroom facilitators have, which is how do you engage, keep your audience engaged, and continue to interact with them? It's a little trickier in the virtual classroom, but I would say the traditional classroom. Uh, facilitators are starting to have this same problem. Well, yeah. Well, I know that I had to learn uh, not to uh, not to be offended when I was doing some uh, presentation work that several of the people in the audience were doing stuff with their phone, and I don't. They weren't necessarily ignoring me. That's just one of the ways that they're capturing, engaging, reacting. It's just. You know, in the old days, you would never do that, right? And yeah. I guess I'm telling true. myself for uh, how old I am. So talk to me about this book. Did it come together really easy? Were there some chapters that were particularly difficult in the, in the writing process itself? Um, well, you know, the book came about as a result. I started blogging on the topic a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I, w- I was first introduced to virtual classrooms um, probably about 10 years ago, and I, I was fascinated by what I saw. And then um, I uh, started blogging about it, and then I started, I read everything I could, and I realized there just wasn't a lot out there. There, mm. um, there wasn't a lot written, and what was written was very introductory. It was, it was very much of you should do this, you should do this, you should do this, which is important. But then there wasn't the how. how. How do you do those things? How do you engage? How do you deal with global participants? How do you adjust um, for cultural cross-cultural differences? Those kinds of things weren't out there, so I thought I should write about it. And, <laughs> yeah, um, <you> did. <laughs> and I did. And I think um, what was the hardest thing about writing it is that everything about a virtual classroom is interrelated and trying to figure out how to talk about one thing without talking about the next thing. Because if you're talking about the facilitation, you're not just talking about, you can talk a little bit about how you speak, how you um, make your voice interesting, how you pace. But as soon as you talk about facilitation, you're talking about your content because you're, you're constantly working with the tool, with your content as it's moving uh, on the screen and keeping people engaged that way, it's all so interrelated. It's the the facilitation, it's the content, it's the technology, and so it was hard to parse it out into different pieces. <laughs> but it, it, it finally did come together. Uh, and so you've advocated in that book and throughout your, your work some structure, some, some rigor, some discipline. You have, I, I don't know if it's a framework methodology, I don't know what the right word is, but you've got, hey, here's a way you ought to go about preparing yes. uh, to execute can you, can you speak that, uh, to that just sure, a little Sure, sure. So what I did, the book is um, structured around a model that I created, um, and it's called the, the PREP model. Mm-hmm. And PREP is four steps. It stands for plan, rehearse, execute, and post-session. And um, the reason I put it, I, I put that model together was because I had done hundreds of sessions 
coach lots of people and I found myself saying the same thing over and over again and it actually the somebody ought to write this down well I got yeah I got right. tired of saying the same thing and sketching it out so I put together that that model and uh, what's interesting about the model is uh, the first step the planning step is the biggest step and uh, hmm. when it's in, when you see it in the book it's um, it's kind of like a step model. And so the planning step has about uh, four or five tasks under it. It's, it's huge. Most of the most of your time is spent planning. And when I talk about virtual classrooms and coach people, we spend all of our time on the planning. And then about half as much time rehearsing and practicing, and then even less time actually delivering the session. So by the time you get to the delivery of the session, you are, if you've, if you've followed this the way that I suggest you do it, yeah, you'll be fine. But if you didn't put in the planning time, the live session is, um, there's a slim chance for success. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> so do you find as an expert in, in your expert opinion, are there some just hard and fast, I don't know, limitations, flaws, just some things. Look, this, look, is this the virtual learning is just not the right answer for this. Is that, um, Hmm. I think that, um, is it a topic or a culture or an application or a type of learning that maybe you would, you, maybe even you would be the first to say as much of an advocate yeah. of this as you are. Yeah, yeah. Let, don't do virtual for this. Yeah. I think if, if, uh, because in the virtual classroom, we don't see each other, even though you may put a webcam up and you may see the instructor or there are some, um, instructors that like to have everyone on a webcam. You still can't get that bot. You can't read the body language as well through a right. webcam. And it's also very small and maybe it's grainy and maybe it's um, getting stuck sometimes. So if your topic is very nuanced, um, maybe you're talking about ethics or a, um, a really a detailed leadership topic and you really need to understand body language in order to train right. on that type. Those kinds of things I, I say are are too too hard to do virtually um, but most everything else you can figure out a way to um, break it down and maybe you're not teaching everything virtually but maybe you're doing part of it virtually and that way you save some some classroom time some face-to-face -face classroom time for those real nuanced topics where you really need that face-to-face -face interaction well, I think that's an excellent point it doesn't have to be either or we could take the best of both worlds I, I what I was thinking of as you were describing the the nuance and the and the the body language and the interaction, uh, there are certainly some very good uh, interviews conducted over the phone where people are not together. Uh, and I got to tell you, it's a there's a different dynamic when we're doing like you and I yeah. are today. We're sitting across the table. On a, there's a little different level of connection than I think would have been pulled off over the phone. I'm not saying you and I shouldn't do a phone interview yeah, sometime. Yeah. And so I suspect there are certain types of training where this added, you know, we're looking each other in the eye, we're getting a, so I, I think there are a lot of parallels uh, in that. Yeah. Thing. And I think that what's important for organizations to think about when they're trying to decide what should we do in a virtual classroom or not is to, um, think about exactly that. Where do you need to be face-to-face? -face? Where is it critical that we all be in the room together, be able to look at each other, mm. read each other's body language, and interact in that way? And 
great, do those things in, in a face-to-face classroom. But if your resources, we, we, I mean, if you're in an organization with unlimited resources, go for it. And <laughs> right. unlimited time, then do that. But then um, most of us have this challenge of time and money. So, sure. so then once you set that aside, some training could be done in a virtual classroom where maybe we just need to have more of a discussion and we need to have an expert um, or experts uh talking through and discussing certain uh, topics, certain themes, and we can do that virtually. And then some of it, we can give some materials for people to look at, send them to websites, and do some stuff on their own. So you really have to think about what it is you're trying to accomplish, and then how to apply each of the different mediums to accomplish those. Well, and there's so much uh, depth and breadth of technology that allows us to, I mean, I think we're probably only limited by our own creativity right it, it it occurs to me however you deliver the the initial chunks there's just so many tools to to reinforce and to boost and to, right yes yes i think the challenge is keeping up with all of them because there's so there's <laughs> it's, just, there's it's so too many, many choices yeah. the challenge yeah. is that we don't have enough choice it, but it sounds to me like world bank maybe from day one but certainly at, at this uh, point in time they've just really embraced this whole um, idea they've thrown time, energy, money, and, uh, you know, political logistical support behind virtual training. So I, I bet you feel very fortunate to be part of an organization that's that, that will that will provide that kind of support. It, I, I do. I feel I feel very fortunate. And it also um, it's uh it's an organization that is trying to do good in the world. So that's, that also is, it makes me feel glad that I have the opportunity to work there. And also, uh, I love, um, I love everything international. So it's wow. not, an, and it's an opportunity to be able to reach out to people all around the world, sometimes from my uh, basement on my computer in my pajamas. Um, and that's, uh, that's something that is, and, and to be able to reach out to these staff in the field who are working in very challenging situations, trying to solve very difficult problems and doing uh, whatever I can do to contribute to um, improving their projects. So, you know, personally, gut level, you know, when things are going well and the organization is getting a return on what you guys are doing. <laughs> Um, but do you also have you have you found yourselves uh, because you are a bank <laughs> where you, you uh, there's even more structure to like a return on investment conversation or equation or that, how do you attack that whole uh, measurement success thing? Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot about this uh, measuring success. And um, even though we are a bank, we are a nonprofit. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that you know, organizations that are uh, sales-driven organizations or have a, a big customer service center, um, they're, those have a little bit of an easier time measuring the success of their training events. We don't have any anything like that. We don't have a uh, something similar. So it's it is very challenging to me- to figure out how to measure success. I think you have to do it. You have to look at it uh, in terms of you're going to measure success at different times and for different audiences. So, of course, we look at our uh, level one and we are we want to know right away what was the initial reaction to, to what we did. And so we do a survey, usually just an electronic survey. And that serves a, that serves one audience. We want to be able to tell our managers, okay, yeah, we had this many people in the training and 
these were some of the comments about how we could improve it and this is what people liked. And then as you move along the, the four levels of evaluation that most training professionals follow, it gets, it gets more and more complicated. And when you get to that last level of uh, level four where you're measuring impact, this is really where you have to have that set up in advance. You have to know before you even started your training program, what is it we're trying to achieve? What impact are we trying to have? And how are we going to measure that? So it's, it's very challenging. We do it by uh, looking at uh, different areas in our dashboard where we're tracking metrics and try to select a couple that we're going to tackle and then watch over time and see if we've been able to pull the right levers to try to um, have some impact on those items that we're measuring in our dashboards. Well, now that strikes me as important is pick a couple. Don't pick 19, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, I, and I know it would be tempting, I'm sure, but pick a couple. And, and the other point you made was early on, know that we're shooting for that and then look and see at the levers that, that we're pulling. And what's nice is with the infrastructure you have in place, you can capture that information pretty quickly, right? And, and get it, you know, fast, accurate information. So mm-hmm. I, um, I think that's fantastic. I would also think you would be able to tell pretty quickly hey, this isn't working so well. So you can adjust. You can be truly, truly agile. Yeah, yeah. And I'll just add one other thing, and that is it, pick a couple and um, think about the priority of those that you pick. Are they um, priority areas for your organization? What does management care about? And right. and make sure that you pick strategically. Uh, as we wrap, we've got one more thing that I would uh, like to do. I'd like to leave our listeners, if we could, with just a little bit of counsel, general advice, because maybe they're in an organization that's maybe not quite so far along as you guys are. Uh, you know, just a, a couple of tips, something that might help them, I don't know, avoid some scar tissue that you may have collected, <laughs> uh, or might help them, you know, just jump the track a little bit and get a little head a little quicker that uh, as they're developing their, their virtual um, domain. Okay. Um, well, I would say, uh, if you're, if you're new to virtual classrooms and you're trying to figure out where to get started, just pick, pick something, pick a topic, pick a department or unit that's particularly interested in this and, and try it out. Even one step back, you could just start having your team meetings virtually so that everyone starts to practice with the technology and get used to it. Then start attending as many events as you can virtually. There are a lot of free webinars out there. Now that's not necessarily training, but you'll still, they're, they're using many of the same tools or similar tools. And take a note of what do you like? When were you engaged? What was interesting on the screen? What kind of features did they use? And start to build your own toolkit that way. Um, and then pilot something. You have to just start somewhere. And, um, when you, pilot, make sure that you spend a lot of time planning so you have everything set up, have your backup plans in place. Make sure you rehearse so that you're not surprised when your real event um, gets started. And then finally, I would say, um, this is some advice I write about in the book, is you have to make your first three minutes perfect, um, uh-huh. such as such as what we did here today. <laughs> we were, you know, we had every, we tested right before we went on, and you knew exactly what you were going to say to start. You had your first question ready. Yeah, yeah. And so the same thing, um, people will make a judgment very quickly about you. And if your first three minutes are spent saying things like, can you hear the audio? Oh, okay, wait, <laughs> wait, what's going on? Why aren't the slides on the screen, you know? 
So, so um, don't let that happen, and that's why you rehearse. And then, um, so make those first three minutes really powerful, really energetic, very interesting. Engage right away. Don't start out by reading a long bio. Start out by doing something fun, and then you can get to the bio of the of the experts. And if you're going to do a lot of interactive exercises, um, rehearse those and practice those so that um, because those are probably the newest area for you if you're new to this. Uh, type of tool and um, practice those with some friends and make sure that those come off well uh, as well. And then little by little, it just takes a little bit of time and experience. Well, I'm glad I asked and I think our listeners will be too. Where can they get their hands on this book? Oh, um, it's on Amazon uh-huh. and you can also go to successfulvirtualclassroom.com. That's the book's website. All right. And if someone wanted to reach out to either you personally or maybe someone on the team at World Bank, uh, whatever's a- appropriate, uh, an email address or a website or a, a Facebook or a LinkedIn, but, but a way for them to, to reach out and have a conversation with you about sure. this stuff. Sure. Sure. Um, you can reach me through that website. I'm also on Twitter at, at Darlene C. Um, and you can also email me. Uh, my email is dchristopher1, the number one, dchristopher1 at worldbank.org. Uh, what a marvelous experience this has been. Thank you so much, Darlene Christopher, for, for joining us. Thank you for bringing your daughter. Some of our listeners don't know. We had a very uh, thorough practice session to help us make sure the equipment was ready because uh, Valerie helped us out with that. Thank you so much for, for bringing her and for sharing your wisdom this afternoon. This has been fabulous. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. All right. We will be back in a few from Training Pros D.C. This has been a special Business Radio X production brought to you by Training Pros, your source for local learning and development experts. Learn more at training-pros.com.